You're listening to the Advancing Your Photography podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silber. I connect you with remarkable photographers who've mastered their craft, sharing their insight and skills so you can put them right to use. Well, good morning, you guys, or evening, afternoon, whatever time of day it is. And it's awesome to be joining you again. I'm gonna take you through a little story. If you don't know who I am, I'm Mark Silber. I am a published photographer. I live in Carmel, California, which is really close to where Ansel Adams, Edward West, and a lot of other amazing photographers lived and still do live. So today we're gonna take a little journey. I'm gonna go back in time with you and I'm gonna tell you a bit about my story of how I came to develop AYP, how I came to write this book and some of my others, because this is the journey a lot of you are taking right now of you know, trying to figure out what is your voice? How do you express yourself as a photographer? What is this thing called photography really all about? So I'm gonna, I'm going to walk you through some things. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows and leave your comments. I love to hear from you guys. So here we go. Without further ado, I'm just going to walk you through. You know, this is this is a presentation I've done a couple of times. You may have caught some of it before, but you definitely haven't caught what I'm going to go over with you right now, which is how did I come to do what I've put together here in terms of videos and uh, books and classes. Well, here's where it all began, folks. Um, when I was 12 years old, the magic of the darkroom was revealed to me. I had a teacher who said, hey, would you like to see how a darkroom works? And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. And he actually took me to his house. His wife fed us dinner. And then after dinner, in the darkroom, we developed a roll of film. Okay, that was cool because, you know, listen, you guys, if you're in the digital age and you just know how things happen instantly, film isn't like that. It's not an instant process. First, you develop the film and then you take the little strips of negatives, which I could show you. I don't have one up here on the screen. And you put them through a process called an enlarger, which basically makes it larger than what you see, which might be a strip of film this big. And in this case, I exposed it and I put it into a, like about a five by seven print. This is a photograph I took in the seventh grade after I had discovered the darkroom. And I realized that there were so many things I could do that I couldn't do before because I was sending my film off to a drugstore and they'd come back these little tiny prints that were really muddy looking I had no control over. So I instantly became a photographer when I discovered that, that I could control the whole process. I could take what I saw out there and turn it into something that other people could also see. But it was not based on somebody else's processing. It was based on what I envisioned and how I wanted it to turn out. So guys, I became a photographer when I was 12. And this photograph is one of, actually, it's funny, it's been published more than any other photograph that I have. This was taken in the eighth grade a year later there's a whole story behind this, which I'm not going to tell you, but it is actually in this book, uh, short version. I bumped up just before I took this photograph, I bumped up against a power line and got an enormous shock in, right along this side of my arm and was literally blown out of a pine tree, bounced down the branches, thought I was dead and got up and I said, I'm dead, I'm dead. I told my friend that, and of course I wasn't dead. Long story short, it really, obviously something happened there. The group that I was with, the class I was with, um, we went off to, shortly after that, we went off to a sand dune and my friends were jumping off this sand dune. I actually directed this shot. I wanted to get that perfect arc. I actually had a vision for this. And I told them, look, if you guys jump at this point, I'll take the photograph and just, you know, do what I say, <laughs> like a director, like a movie director. And I did direct them and I told them when to jump. And at that moment, I pressed the shutter. That's when I discovered this thing that Henry Cartier-Bresson calls the decisive moment. It's that moment when something happens that you want to press the shutter. And there's a lot that goes into that because you have to actually anticipate 
the motion because your lag of if you see something out there and then you press the shutter it's going to be too late so you can't lag you have to anticipate it and do it ahead of time anyway i captured this photograph. I went on to, in high school, again, that story is in here. I talked my the principal of my high school into letting me go to Mexico for my last semester of high school instead of what I considered the drudgery and the boredom of being in high school. I managed to do this incredible sales process and got an okay to go to Mexico to work on a medical dispensary up in the remote regions of the Sierra Madre Mountains above Mazatlan. And this was, I took my uncle's Roloflex, this camera right here, this very camera, and 30 rolls of film. And I captured, which still today are some of my best photographs. This is a worker, his name is Fausto. We built this entire structure. We made the adobe. We felled the trees for the door there, the window that you see. We felled those trees, we turned them into planks. We did everything. A friend of mine carved that. You can see there's an opener there, he carved that. And we did it with the crudest of tools. But I documented this whole thing. I documented everything about that trip. And I came back with 30 rolls or more of black and white film. I went into the darkroom, processed them. I said, to me, they're some of my most memorable photographs. I took one roll of color I don't have an example that I can show you another time. One roll of color, the rest were black and whites, and I've used them in shows, I've used them in my books, I've used them to illustrate what it's like to be a documentary photographer. It was a, a major learning experience. Again, if you wanna hear the whole story, it's in here. You can check it out. Shortly after that, I went to Vermont uh, long story, but I went to Vermont. I went to school there for a while. And again, with my Roloflex, actually, this might have been a 35. It looks like I, either I, I I have to go back and look at the original negative. E either I cropped it as a portrait or it was not the Roloflex. I'm pretty sure it was, so I must have cropped it. But this is an example of leading lines. You know, your eye is led to the subject who was a girl that was walking to saddle her horse. She's carrying a saddle there and the reins in her other hand. And it's telling a story. Your eye is drawn into this. And I realized, actually before this, I realized that I could tell stories with my camera. Now, time went on. I did go to art school. It wasn't a brilliant experience for me, to be honest with you. I felt it was almost a setback because here I was this energetic, photographer really learning about photography all on my own. Then I went to school and I felt like, whoa, it pushed me back. It was like, you know, if you weren't in the professor's frame of reference of what he thought was a good photograph, you were sort of pushed to the side. Not a good way to teach anyone. I actually came out of that experience less enthusiastic as a photographer. Whoa, not cool. I ended up going a different route. I didn't become a professional photographer for many, many reasons. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Again, it is in this book. I did write a lot of stories about my life and how these influenced my creativity in this book. Let's fast forward many years later. The digital era of photography had begun. 2003, I think I bought a camera, not this one. It, this is actually a, a better version of what I bought. I bought a, a kind of an inexpensive Nikon, but it was, you know, a point and shoot kind of camera. And I started experimenting with digital. My One of my boys did something that was really amazing. I had given up on photography. I had, listen, I was taking snapshots and even then it was really rushed. I was in business. I was raising a family. I didn't get into the zone as a photographer for so many years, but it started to haunt me. It started to, to kind of gnaw away at me that I wasn't following my passion. I wasn't following that creative passion. And I made a decision that I was going to somehow get my way back to that. But by then it was the digital era and I entered into it, you know, trying to figure it out. And this is what I looked like a lot of times. I was dealing with technology that was just emerging. There was no Lightroom. 
there were no easy ways to process your, your images. It was all in Photoshop and Photoshop wasn't that user friendly in the early days. And I looked like this a lot. WTF, how am I supposed to do this? I knew how to do it in the darkroom, but now I'm trying to figure it out in the digital darkroom. And it's like, ah, do you guys ever feel like that? Do you ever, you know, put your head in your hands and just want to cry and give up? And that's exactly the way I felt. I couldn't make heads or tails out of this until I did something that's always worked for me, which is I dive into a subject deep enough to be able to teach it to others, because it's one thing to learn it for yourself. First, I did learn. OK, I did learn enough. One of the things I did I had read these. This is one of Ansel Adams books, very technical. And I'd read these when I was a teenager and I revisited their five books that he wrote, the camera, the negative, the print, artificial light and uh, natural light. I revisited those. I dug into them, you know, but I had to also incorporate this. This is not written for digital photography. This is written for film photography. So I had to convert everything over and there Guys, it's not like today where there's a million YouTube channels on photography that did not exist. In fact, that was something I later developed because I decided, OK, I'm going to start teaching this. I became a teacher when I was 19 years old. I worked for a mountaineering school and I had the role of teaching people how to get up and down mountains without hurting themselves or killing themselves. So I had to really learn how to teach. And I went on to give some workshops on photography. This is one of them. And there's that photograph again that I took in the seventh grade. And I taught some fundamentals like framing, which I still teach. Framing was the first thing that I learned from my uncle who gave me again. He gave me this camera here. The first thing he taught me, he called me Marco. He said, Marco, try to frame your photographs by having an edge of a door or a you know, a tree or window frame or something, it'll really make your, he didn't even tell me why it would improve my photographs, but he says it'll really improve your photographs. And sure enough, it did. And framing is still one of the most basic and most important composition techniques you'll ever use. Don't lose sight of the fact that if you can frame your photograph, it's going to improve the quality of it. So I started teaching photography. I started doing a lot of workshops. And one day I actually got this book and it was called New Rules for Marketing. And in it, there was a foreword from a guy I'd never heard of, but I looked him up and it turned out he was a big blogger, but he did video blogging. This was kind of a new thing. It was called a podcast back in the day. Okay. It was a video podcast and I wrote him an email and he said, Hey, why don't you come on a photo walk with me? I had no idea what a photo walk was, but I actually Googled it. And it turns out what it is, is that a photographer is followed around with somebody with a video camera. I said, cool, let's do it. So we did that. It went up. It's actually still on my YouTube channel. It, it's, you know, poor quality. It wasn't shot in HD, but it went up at that time. That was pretty amazing. There, YouTube was I don't even know if it had been launched in 2007. If it had, nobody was really using it for anything instructional. It was like, you know, for your cats and dogs and babies and stuff like that. But it hadn't really been discovered as an educational platform. But his video went up. It really took off. And all of a sudden I had one of those aha moments. One way I could dig myself out of this head in the hands, totally like, how am I going to make this work? is again by teaching others. But if I taught them through video, I can reach a large audience. So I started digging in and trying to figure out what is the beginning, the middle and the end of photography? Does it follow a logical pattern? Is there some sense to this? Because to me, it was all kind of like a disjointed process. But I started doing these interviews and you guys are familiar with them. This is a kind of an old series here, but I did many interviews. I was really fortunate. I got a sponsor. I knew nothing, zero about video production, nothing, zero. But I went to Sandisk and I pitched him the idea that I could do a show. Well, fortunately, I did have people who knew about video and I learned from them as I did the show. 
This is the way I learned video, you guys. I didn't go to school for it. I did these series and I would ask these guys who were my producers who were very skilled, how are you doing this? What camera are you using? How are you setting it up that way? Let me watch your lighting. Okay, let me see how to edit. The first time I was asked to edit something, I was just thrown in with Final Cut 7, if you guys have ever used that. I had no idea what to do with it, but somehow I figured my way through. And if you ever think maybe you're like doing something the hard way, maybe you are, but sometimes that hard way, it really pounds in the fact that when you do learn something, when you do figure it out, wow, you've really got it and you've got it there forever. It's something you've earned. So in the process of doing all these interviews, I managed to figure out there are these five points of photography. And these were lessons that when I finally learned them, it really made sense. This isn't something I read in a book. No one told me these things. I didn't see this in a video. I had to figure it out for myself based on what I'd heard from different photographers. Visualization. These are the five stages of photography. Even if you've heard me say these before, listen again, because this is really the core of photography. It's the core of what's going to make you an even better photographer. Visualization, you get it in your mind's eye before you press the shutter. Visualization carries on throughout the entire process. Like I said, I visualized, you know, at that moment that I could do a video series and I could go sell SanDisk on this idea that they should sponsor me. That's an example of visualization. It carries out, it carries over your entire creative process. It's at the core. The next thing you got to know is your equipment. If you've heard, and I'm sure you have, Bob Holmes talk about you've got to know your camera so well that it doesn't get in your way. Do not let the camera get in your way. Cameras are tools. You could use any one of these cameras, and I've got a whole slew of digital cameras I don't keep on the shelf here. It doesn't matter. They're tools. Find one that works for you. Make it simple. Don't over-obsess on this. And one of the key things, you guys, this is the hallmark of AYP, is that we don't obsess over any one of these points. If you're going to be obsessive about something, make it visualization. But even there, don't obsess over, oh, just thinking about what I want to photograph all day long. You got to get out there and do it. So don't obsess over equipment is really a theme of AYP. There are so many channels out there. And frankly, it's like, what's the point? What is the point? So you have a lot of cool gear. Do you use it? That's the, the magic thing. So you know your equipment. You got to know it so well it doesn't get in your way. You've got to then get out there and capture. Now, capture means do it. It means go out and make photographs. It means learning about light. It means learning about composition. But more than just learning it, you got to do it. And you've heard this. Everybody I interview says the same thing. The only way you learn is by capturing and doing, making, and I didn't say take, make a lot of photographs every single day. Don't let a day go by without making photographs. Okay, then what do you do? You process it. Okay, I told you about how I learned to process in the dark room and it was like, aha, I'm in control now. Okay, process, and that comes from knowing whatever platform you're on. And again, I don't care what platform you use. It really doesn't matter. Whatever works for you. I use Lightroom mostly. I use Photoshop and Lightroom. Those are my platforms. You, you could be using something totally different. As long as it works, use it. This whole discussion that goes on about, you know, should I shoot with Nikon? Should I shoot with Canon? Should I use Lightroom? Should I use Photoshop? It doesn't matter. It matters this much this much. What really matters is, can you do it? Are you comfortable with that equipment? Are you comfortable with that plot, that platform? If you are, do it. Process. Learn how to process. Again, I did it from old school and I did convert and I could still do a better job of that, but I converted what I knew about the darkroom into the digital darkroom. And I still to this day, kind of follow those same guidelines. I have a simple approach, which I, if I have time, I'll get to it. I don't know if we're gonna have time today. I'm gonna to probably have to break this up. So after you process, 
you then share your work to the world. Now, you've heard Dan Milner, you've heard Bob Holmes, you've heard me. We love books. I love books. You know, it's you don't have to print, you know, get a book like this and print it. As you've heard Dan talk about, you can do them with Blurb, you can do them with Bay Photo, you can make a book just for yourself that you show to your friends. Whatever you do, I highly recommend that you put your photographs in book form. I just, you know, it gives me a thrill beyond belief to see my stuff in print. There it is. There's the whole story about getting electrocuted, <laughs> falling out of a tree. I'm not kidding. There's more to it. I'm not even going to tell you right now. Put your work in book form, put it on the wall, make prints, frame those prints. You notice I haven't even said social media once so far. Social media, somebody has said, it's kind of like fast food. You know, it is. People are going to look at it in a split second. It's fast food as, as opposed to, you know, a real meal where you sit down with friends and you enjoy it and you you have a great bottle of wine or a steak or salad and you know, beautiful music. That's that's what this is like, <laughs> publishing your work. If you want, yeah, okay, we all use social media, it's fine, but it's fast food. Recognize it as such. People are gonna give you a split second of their attention. Your photographs deserve more than that. Use it, fine, but use these other forms of sharing. Okay, those are the five things. And if you really hear nothing other than this, this is the point. You've got to be balanced on those five points. Those five points of the cycle of photography need to be in balance. What does that mean? It means don't, don't get stuck on one or the other. Be fluid. Keep. That's why it's a circle. It's showing that there's motion. It shows that these are interactive. You see on here that there's arrows I, I'm pointing here, I'll use my pointer. There's arrows going both ways, it's interactive. If you learn how to process something better, it'll help your visualization because you'll now know what you can do with it. If you share your work, you get feedback from people. It, it, you may or may not want to pay attention to that feedback, but it certainly helps you see if you visualize something, if what's happening at the other end. This is all really important. Okay, let's dive in here a little bit more. So I like to tell people this story. This is really important. This is um, leave room in your cup. Nanin was a Japanese master. He received a university professor who came to inquire about his teachings. Nanin served tea. He poured his visitor's cup full and then kept pouring. Well, there's a little more to this story. The university professor came in, he's very arrogant. He said, you tell me about your philosophy. Very challenging, you know. Tell me about photography. You, okay. <laughs> Nanin was a smart dude and he went, this guy, I can't tell him anything and you'll, you'll see why. So he poured his visitor's cup full and then kept pouring. Notice how it's overflowing there, okay. The professor watched the overflow until he no longer could restrain himself. It's over full, no more will go in, the professor said. Nanin, in his calm voice, said, like this cup, Nanin said, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I teach you unless you first empty your cup? Very wise. Make sure you're entering any time you're learning something, you've got an empty cup or at least pour, pour out. The only people I can't teach are the people who already have their minds made up. And I tell who, I know who those people are. They're the ones that leave trolley comments because they really weren't there to learn anything. They're there to criticize. That's not the frame of mind you should be in to learn something. If you want to learn something, have an empty cup. Okay, I believe you guys already know that because you're already here. Now, Stage one is visualization. We've already talked about that. I'm not going to belabor this too much, but I am going to show you what visualization means. I like this quote, visualize this thing that you want. See it, feel it, believe in it. Make your mental blueprint and begin to build. Okay, I'm going to play you a clip. So I told you when I started this show, I went out and interviewed a lot of photographers. First one, third one, third person I interviewed was Chase Jarvis, who is now the CEO of Creative Live. He's a fantastic photographer, fantastic educator. And 
I asked him the question, what is your process, Chase? So let's listen to what he said. Off camera, I think about it for a second, and uh, it quickly came to me that there's just uh, you know four, four or five things that I do every time. And the first thing is I look at the scene without the camera. I walk around without the camera pressed to my face because when you put the camera to your face, you see a lot less than you do just walking around. So um, I'm going to walk the area that I'm going to shoot without the camera to my face and, and look for interesting things. Uh, when I find things I'm going to shoot or uh, you know, I can build a scene in my mind, then I'll start putting the pieces together. And, and that's kind of a visualization for me. So uh, when I'm visualizing, I know exactly how I want this thing to look. I know I want this edge of the frame to be you know, next to this tree, and I want my subject running or jumping into this part of the frame. Um, and I, I even actually pre-visualize all the way to, to what this could look like in post-production. But uh, suffice to say, I kind of visualize the shot. He visualizes all the way through post-production. He walks the area without a camera pressed to his face. Why do you do that? Because the camera is already going to limit your, your vision. That's actually a really good point. Now, one of the things I used to train people with to train their eye to visualize is like, this is called a framing card, and you should make one. Now, notice the size that it's cut out is about the size of a 35 millimeter frame or a full frame sensor. And what you do with this is you just walk around and you don't have a camera. You use this to train your eye. You're not thinking about the complexity of a camera. By the way, this is, this is what I did for my very first video show that I told you about. I did, um, you know, that first time I went out with that blogger, I wrote down my the things I wanted to cover on the back and I used this card. This is kind of famous. But you guys, I, I today I just use my hands like this or like that. But generally I just go like this. I use my fingers as a framing card. It's actually a really good exercise and it will train your eye. So another fantastic photographer, Joey L. Google him to see his work. This is one of his photographs. So what did he do? He went to museums and looked at art. He looked at art on the wall and he realized that if the painters had figured this out, which they had, then as a photographer, you should take those techniques and turn it into your photography. Here's a little clue. Painting has been around for thousands of years. Photography is relatively new, but the rules of lighting and composition are not really rules, but the techniques of lighting and composition have already been figured out by painters. If you want to improve your photography, look at what they did with light. Look at what they did with composition and translate that into your, photo your own photographs. Okay, training your eyes, we've talked about that. And you gotta know your equipment. There's a camera, it's on the shelf. It's this camera right here. This, by the way, is an AYP logo. It kind of says the whole thing of what we're about. It's like, use your equipment to capture something, but have fun with it and don't obsess over it. I'm not gonna talk about that anymore. I've already covered that. Learn your equipment, that's really important. You gotta know your key controls. You got to look up the words in this book, Advancing Your Photography. There's a really good glossary in the back. And if you guys don't have this book, you should get it. Would you? Actually, I'd love to hear who does own the book out there. You know, just let me know. I wrote this because I had done all these interviews. I wrote this in 2016. I already interviewed hundreds of photographers and I boiled it down to a book. It's great to have videos, but a book you can carry around, and we made it the size you could put in your camera bag, okay? So you have reference to it. But make sure you know what those words are. Study the camera in front of you. When you're reading about your equipment, have the camera right here in your hands. Push the buttons, turn the knobs, do the things that it's talking about, and then go out and do practice, 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 shoot, 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 rinse and repeat. For those of you who don't know what that means, that's what's on the back of your shampoo bottle. Rinse and repeat. Okay, just keep doing that. Read your manual or better yet, get a publication that somebody else has written for your camera. Those are usually way better and easier to understand. Read that and have that along with you. This is an app that I built to basically inventory and keep track of your equipment. One of the cool features of it is you can download the manual and keep it with you right on your phone. And 
You can get it for free at zither.co. How about that? This is an example of knowing my equipment. This is a photograph I took in the Tuileries in Paris of a carousel. Now, I wanted to capture the motion of it. I did not have a tripod. This was taken at 1 25th of a second. That's a long exposure. And notice the trees are actually not wiggling around. They're, they're pretty steady. So I didn't have a tripod. So what I did was there was a pole in the park. I went over to the pole, put my camera on it, and held it still, pushed the shutter for this long exposure. I wanted the carousel moving. I wanted the trees not to be in motion. Yeah, it would have been better to have a tripod, but look, when you're walking around doing photographs in Paris on the street, you're not going to lug around a tripod. And this is another thing you've heard from Bob Holmes. Travel light. You hear this from Dan Milner. All of us will tell you this. Travel light. Don't burden yourself with a whole bunch of extra stuff you may or may not need. So here's, okay, interesting quiz. Why is it called F-stop? Anybody out there know? Does anybody know? You better pop it in here as, as an answer if you know. Why F-stop? Why not G-stop or Q-stop? Or why is it even called stop for that matter? Okay, well, it turns out, here's the answer. I don't see anybody popping it up there. Hey, we've got uh, Periscope. Awesome. This is the first time we're actually broadcasting out on all these different platforms. We're YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. I don't know if LinkedIn is picking this up or not, but I'm, I'm glad to hear we're on Periscope. It's called F-stop. F stands for focal which is your lens. And they used to have these things called stops. Do you see these metal plates? Those are apertures that you used to have to slide in and out. And they're called, they were called stops. You don't really need to know that. It's just kind of a point of trivia, but it's kind of nice to know what it's all about. Now, step three is capture. This is where you go out, you use your lighting, you use your composition, and you capture, meaning you do it. You press the shutter, you make photographs. Don't get hung up. There are no rules of composition. Contrary to what you hear, the, the law of, of thirds, there's no law. What are you going to get arrested? You're going to get a ticket because you didn't use the law of thirds? I don't think so. Is there a photography policeman that's going to bust you? No. You can put your subject, guess what, anywhere you want in the frame. In the center, dead center. Break that rule. Do whatever you want. But a lot of times it works. I admit that. A lot of times it works. Fine. Doesn't always work. Doesn't always. You, you should be fluid enough to be able to do anything you want that strikes you as a good way to tell that story, which is what composition is all about. How do I tell the story? How do I get my idea across? And you should experiment. The great thing, look, in the days of film photography, especially this one, this you would slide a four by five piece of negative that's this big, and you had two exposures, one on each side. Guys, we have unlimited pixels. So don't be afraid, even though I'm not, a, I'm not an advocate of doing this and just, <laughs> I think that's, I think it's BS to try to pick out one photograph out of a stream, but sometimes you got to do it for action shots. Okay. But what you should do is try different approaches and you'll see you can bust the rules all over the place. You can try the, the quote rules. There are tools that you can use or not. Chris Burkhart. Oh man, I love this guy. I love his work. If you haven't seen him on Instagram, check him out. Yes, he produces all sorts of other stuff books, films, selling his works besides Instagram, okay? But this guy has mastered Instagram. There's a, there's a reason for it. He's got like three and a half million people checking in to his Instagram. I did an interview with him not too long ago, a few weeks ago. I think I played this, but I'm gonna play it again for you right now. Here we have Chris Burkhardt. Your advice in terms of getting great composition. I'm looking for just things that kind of stack up and lead your eye away. Whether it's, a, whether it's a straight line or whether it's you know, the angle of the beach or something like that, framing is key. Whether it's a branch or you, know, you can take the most average mundane shot of just a, a beach with you know, maybe a simple backdrop and you, you know, kind of put a branch in there, you, you kind of peek through a tree or out a doorway or a window, and you just add an instant frame that kind of you know, offsets your photo and makes that much more unique. So there you have it. It's like there's a little snippet about framing and how you approach framing Again, this stuff is in my book. I have put all those guys' words of wisdom into this one place. And by the way, one of the things I did was I really, really tried to find any keywords that 
you might get hung up on and put them in one easy to find place. So this is an example of framing. Framing does a number of different things. It provides layers. So we have the first layer of the fence. We have the layer of the mountains going back. It sort of points your eye in the direction of where you want the viewer to go. You're saying, hey, look over here. Because one of the most important things with the photographs, you have to lead the viewer where you want them to go. Don't split their attention between two or more things because it's confusing. If you're telling somebody a story, you're not telling two stories at the same time. You tell story A, and then you go on and tell story B. So don't, yo, by the way, it reminds me of something. No, no, don't do that. Just sequentially. There's our friend Fausto, obviously, framed in the window. It's classic, right? That's a classic frame. There's a lot of ways to frame. So another way to define framing is you fit what is happening out in the scene into you, the frame of your camera so that you have, and this is our friend Henri Cartier-Bresson, you have a precise organization of forms which give that event its proper expression. That's a lot of words, let's break it down. An organization of forms. In this case, I had the chairs. Now, there's, I could have photographed, and I did, the camera straight up like this, but I decided to give it its proper expression. I would do something, I would turn the camera on an angle, and I did that, and oops, there it is. And I think you'll agree that's a more interesting, I took this when I was 12 years old, made this photograph, but I think that's more of an interesting photograph than if it was straight up, right? But the cool thing is you can try it this way, you can try it that way, you can try it any way you want. And angles have an amazing impact on your viewer. The Eiffel Tower, how do you photograph the Eiffel Tower without it looking like a postcard? This is what I did, I got up, in an angle looking up, and then I turned it into a black and white. That's the way I decided to visualize this so it didn't look like a postcard. I took those postcard photographs as well. So there's all sorts of things you can do with angles. You use angles to reduce the height of the subject and it slows down motion and it creates a superiority. Here's an example. Florian Schultz is an unbelievable wildlife photographer, nature photographer. Somebody asked me, can you talk about wildlife photography? Well, the best way to do it is to bring, bring Florian on. So when we're shooting down, looking down, of course it reduces the size of these massive whales. We are kind of in a superior position, not in a bad way, but we're looking down and we're seeing them as a much smaller scale than if we were right next to them. So low angles exaggerate height, speed up the motion, the subject commands attention. Here's an example, fantastic photograph by John Todd. These are, it's a swimming race um, and they're diving off and notice how he got low. That's a really, really good tip for sports photography. You know, if you stand up high and look down, the person like swinging the bat's gonna look really small or whatever sport right? Kicking the ball. In this case, jumping off a platform. But if you get down low, man, it makes them command the subject and it gives them, you, you puts them in the front and center of that photograph and makes it speed up. These are really good tips, you guys. Again, I'm not trying to sell you this book. I'm just telling you, I spent the better part of a year putting it together. And if you want to, it's called advancing your photography. Some people who can't read, I've criticized it because they think it says advanced photography. No, I'm not writing a book about advanced photography. I'm writing a book about advancing your photography, which means whatever level you are, you can move to the next level. Unless your cup is full, in which case nobody can teach you anything anyway. But I know it's not you guys because you're here. Just remember that though. There are people out there that don't want to learn, unfortunately. Side angles give depth and perspective to people and objects. There's another one of Florian Schultz's. Look at the depth, the speed. You know, we get the idea that there's a lot of space behind this buffalo, but we're right there with him. We're right there. Everything else is blurry. This is kind of the opposite of that carousel photograph. Everything else is blurry, and the, he had to move with that buffalo to get that. And that's actually a really cool technique. 
you move with the object and the object will stay still and the background and foreground will blur. These are just tips and tools that you can employ. Now, it is getting to, you know, I'm gonna have to bail out here in a minute, you guys. I love what I'm doing and I could do this all day. We're gonna have to break this into a different segment, but I'm gonna leave you with this. Learn the language of geometry. And Henri Cartier, again, I love this guy. The greatest joy for me is geometry. That means a structure. It's a sensuous pleasure, an intellectual pleasure at the same time to have everything in the right place. It's a recognition of an order which is in front of you. His work is brilliant in that regard. Go Google it and you'll find lots of geometry. I believe this has a lot of uh, geometry in it. This was taken at the Dorsey Museum in Paris, which was a train station. Do we have anybody here from Paris? You guys have been there a lot, I'm sure. This was a train station. This is a clock that looks out into Paris. My wife art directed this shot. She stood off center. I think that's great. There's tons of geometry. There's practically every geometrical form in this photograph. Lines, circles, there's intersecting, there's diagonals. This is a picture of geometry. I'm gonna leave off here, you guys. We've got more, we can do this in another part. Do you think depth is more important than composition? Well, depth is part of composition. And depth, yes. Depth is, is something you should, I mean, it, you, you have to decide what you're doing. If you're taking a, a close-up of an object or a person that you just wanna focus on their face, and I have lots of examples of how you use depth, but yes, depth can add a, a whole element. You know, in one sense, I, I'm not going to pull it out of the book right this second. In one sense, you know what you you're dealing with a two-dimensional subject in a photograph, right? You don't see it in depth. One of the goals you're trying to bring about most of the time is to make it pop. So give it depth. This image here, do you see how it has depth to it? It doesn't look flat. That's because I'm capturing it in such a way, like I didn't use a shallow depth of field. What if I just focused on my wife's face and everything in front of her and behind her was blurry? Well, that would kind of eliminate the depth right there. So yes, one key point is to always remember, and Ed Kachi talked about this, many photographers have mentioned this, but you, you have at least three fields in your photograph. And by that, I mean, you've got what's in the foreground over here, what's in the middle and what's in the background. Now, oftentimes your subject is the middle, should be, not always, doesn't have to be. So you've got to look at what's in the foreground, what, what comes before we see the subject. In this case, in this photograph, you notice where there's these kind of lines leading to where my wife is standing. She's the middle ground, the foreground are those all those lines converging, which are all kind of pointing towards her. And what's in the background is the clock. So we have three layers here. You always have to look at all three layers in your photograph and they have to, they have to match up. Let's say I had something really distracting in the foreground here. There was some metal pole or something and it was shiny. And what would happen is it would distract the whole image. So you got to look at what's in the, each one of those layers. That's really important. So use depth, definitely. Okay, when do you choose to make a photo into a black and white? I come from the black and white school. I tend to, but I'm, I do my fair share of color. Okay, sometimes I'll try it out both ways. This is a perfect example. I printed it as a black and white. It didn't, it needed the little bit of color in it. It helped bring about the depth and it did something to it. So it's really a taste thing. I'll just look at it both ways. Now here's the other rule of thumb that I follow. If the image itself really doesn't have any color to it, you know, maybe it's it's kind of bland. There's nothing popping in terms of color. I will go to black and white, okay? But if, if on the other hand, there's some element, color is part of composition, and I wrote that in my book, The Secrets to Amazing Composition. Color is a tool to use in composition, as I'm using in this photograph. Adding color to that helps. Hey, look, there's no rule. You just gotta decide for yourself, it's your vision. The great thing about using a platform like Lightroom, you try it both ways, see which one 
resonates. Sometimes I will, on social media, I'll post two versions of a photograph, one in color, one in black and white, and say, which one do you prefer? Frankly, I really don't care which people prefer or not, but it gets a conversation going, and I think that's more interesting than whether they prefer it or not. Some people have very strong feelings. This is absolutely, yes, it should be a color photograph. It loses everything as a black and white. No, it should be black and white. It, you know, it doesn't look good color. I, fine, everybody's got an opinion, but I really am interested in the conversation more than anything. John Free, I don't know him, but maybe you could send me a, um, a link to him. That would be awesome. Yeah, there's symmetrical photos in the museum. I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce it. Dorsey Museum. Yeah, I could have done this, and I've seen them. Other people have photographed there. Uh, do I do I pro do you process your photos much? I don't know much. I do process every photograph pretty much. Even on my phone, I will pull up Lightroom Mobile before I post something because undoubtedly I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to usually do things like I'm going to adjust the blacks. I always, Jared knows this in our videos, always add black. And I try to get a, as far as I can go on the black point and as far as I can go on the white point, that's a dynamic range. I want to separate those things. I want it to, to be, that you know, that changes it without changing the contrast. So those are really good things. I usually slide the clarity slider around. If I'm taking photographs of things, I tend to make the clarity go all the way over this way. If I'm photographing a woman's face and I want it to be more flattering, I will adjust the clarity over this way, which softens any lines. You heard Bob Holmes say, you know, <laughs> photographing women. Look, I photographed a lot of women. I love, unlike what he said, I do like photographing women. But, you know, listen, women are beautiful, more beautiful than men, in my opinion, as, as an, a rule. Okay, I mean, I'm just giving a huge generality, but, and they're more conscious of themselves, I believe, in most cases. So it just, Sometimes that's a good thing. Okay, I probably stepped in something I shouldn't. So, okay, you guys, listen. As always, I love having you guys tune in. I have a yoga class in five minutes. I got to jump off. And, you know, I just, I don't usually like to take these things and make them too long. But here's the deal. We're on a journey together. And I want you to be part of this journey. You already are. But I want to invite you in even more. I am reforming the AYP club. You probably noticed, and I've been mentioning it, there's some things I'm actually developing about this. I want it to be the largest international photography club on earth. How about that for a big goal? Why would we want such a huge, huge, huge goal like that? Because look, I know that we have things that we can help people with to really learn photography. Do you know how many people comment, Mark, your channel is like real photography. It's so refreshing. I love that comment. I hear it all the time. We are teaching real photography. We're not fixated on equipment. We're not talking only about processing. We're not talking about the latest technique or trick. We're talking about things that are really pretty much timeless in photography. That's where the real deal lives. Everything I talk to you about, I've learned myself or from talking to great photographers or reading books, but I know these things work. I will never pass along goofy little tricks because there's a million tricks, but really to learn the language of photography, you got to go deep. Be part of the AYP club. Jared, put up that link, would you? Uh, oh, you already did. Thanks a lot. I want you to join it. There's nothing involved in joining. There's no membership fees. There's no, no links. There's nothing. I am going to put together an AYP only Facebook group. I'm just waiting for a couple of my images to be tweaked and I'll put that up in the next couple of days. But I want to give you guys a place where you can come and share your photographs. These conversations, we don't have to limit them just to these videos. I want you guys to be talking with each other, get to know each other. You know, I see your comments. But when this goes away, you may not have access to each other. So I want you to be part of that. And I need you to help me help you get the word out. You all know a bunch of people. You all know other photographers, even if it's five. If you're on another, you know, platform or you know of a photographer you want to suggest for an interview, 
send it to me. Let me know. This should be a two-way communication. To me, the perfect world, and I don't know, someday maybe we'll see this. I would actually like to feel like I'm, I'm going back and forth with you and hear you ask these questions and see your faces. To me, that's amazing. On that note, before I end off, please do this for me. May, do this right as soon as we end off. Make a video, a short video. It can be five seconds. What you love about AYP. If you don't love it, tell me what you think of it. Okay, I just want to get a bunch of these together. I'm going to edit them together. I think it'll be really fun. Shoot a video, what you love about AYP. Email it to us. Jared will put the link there. This is all on that page, the AYP Club page. Just shoot me an email. If it's too big, you shoot. You, it's too long. It will go in an email. Five seconds, 15 seconds max. That's all I need, okay? You can even make it a three-word answer. Tell me the three words that come to mind when you think of AYP, okay? You can make it that short. You can make it a sentence or a paragraph. But please send that to me, okay, you guys? Really would mean a lot. So I think we've come to the end. I love your comments. I wish I could answer, yes, yoga is good for to focus attention. That's so true. And it's really good. You know, we got to keep limber and loose, right? We're carrying stuff around. I mean, I'm working on this shoulder all the time. I tore it many years ago snowboarding. Ouch. So I have to keep working it and keep it fluid. I do a lot of action sports. I surf. I swim, I snowboard, I rock climb. I need mobile shoulders. You know, when you're holding equipment up, you need to make keep things moving around. Anyway, listen, I love you guys. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you do subscribe, tell your friends. And hey, remember to get out and capture your own images of life. Take care, you guys. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. Stay well. And my heart goes out to anybody who has been helping, you know, people through this time period. We, we're all supporting you. We love you. We admire everything you're doing. And if you see any of those workers who are on the front line, give them whatever love you can. It's really important. Okay, guys, take care. See you again soon. Thanks for joining us today on Advancing Your Photography. If there's anything you wanted to see from today's episode, you can find the video version of this show on our YouTube channel, Advancing Your Photography. You can also find the show notes on our website, silverstudios.com forward slash podcast. Please rate and leave a review, subscribe, and be sure to share with your friends. And until next time, remember to get out and capture your own images of life.